Welcome back to Reformed Millennials, the podcast where finances, economic trends, and sports intersect. Cam and Joel help listeners better invest their time and money. Also, it's important for listeners to understand that investing in equities, fixed income instruments, and or alternative asset classes involves substantial risk of loss. Any action you may take as a result of the information presented in this podcast is your own responsibility. The information in this podcast is presented as a general educational, informational, and entertainment resource only. While Joel is registered to provide investment advice, this podcast does not provide individualized investment, tax, or insurance advice, nor is it meant as a recommendation to any listener to buy or sell any specific securities or otherwise take any other form of investment action. This is an excerpt of the full legal disclaimer that's available on the landing page of this podcast, which includes whether Cam Pitchers or Joel Shackleton have any ownership or interest in the specific securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back, Cam. Happy Friday. It's like, it's kind of nice recording on a Friday. It's like something to look for. It's almost like the second hump day. You know, everyone's like, always like, oh, Wednesday, back end of the week, feels good. But like Friday, we get to this recording time, and I'm just a little happier to see you because I feel like see you once and then get out of here. <laughs> Don't have to talk to the rest of the week professionally or personally, really. It gets the weekend. Yeah, I can see how you would like this. <laughs> because on the back end, the production side, getting it out in time for people to enjoy it is the challenge. Sure. Well, I mean, that's the not turnaround my role. time. Yeah. <laughs> You're the talent, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm not. And I, I have to put this thing in motion and get it out. So, yeah, Fridays are great. I totally agree. It gives me the ability to a not week's get worth wrecked. of content, though, which is nice. Yeah, but also not get wrecked by like what actually ends up happening all week, mm, based true. on what I was predicting. Yeah, hundred percent. That is fair. I think we mentioned that <clears throat> that a lot of our predictions were literally changing within twelve hours of us releasing when we were doing it on mm-hmm. Wednesdays. Whoops. So at least there's most of the time from like in a business and investing sense, and even sports. A lot of the cases. There's not much that's going to change on the Friday afternoon. Yeah, so I don't know if listeners know this. I got a new vehicle. It's got a lot of horsepower. It's a V8 Hemi. Mm. I didn't see any manhole covers rip up underneath my car on the way in. <coughs> um, it might have something to do with it not being quite as fast as an F1 vehicle. What an absolute disaster start <laughs> for this. <clears throat> Truthfully, like we have detailed like joe pomp obviously we've mentioned him a thousand times the good pomp the good (laughs) the good pomp uh excuse my voice uh the good pomp has been pomp has been pumping up f1 ever since liberty media took over Mm -hmm. and made the acquisition he's really been following it closely and, and talking about the business of the sport and obviously they're we talked about their plan in terms of the focus on the North American market, their expansion in the U.S. in terms of adding two more races to the calendar. There's been some pushback, especially from traditionalists from that standpoint, saying, you know, obviously F1 ch- has that challenge of, of being global and their sport from a primetime TV standpoint in the U.S. or in North America always being kind of on off times, which is, you know, one of the main reasons why they wanted to add more to the schedule, more on this side of the globe, 
they kind of have their South America, North America swing with a bunch of, of races all within a, you know, kind of a six week period in this time zone. And so anyways, the, this, the, the pump up of, of adding more to the U S obviously started with Miami last year. They had their second running this year. Their Austin's been their staple uh, in Austin, Texas, sorry, been their staple race for a number of years. And now they've added Vegas. And I think that the big difference between races previously or the biggest difference with Vegas in comparison to their two in the States is that F1 has made a direct investment. Liberty Media has made a direct investment in Vegas in terms of owning actual property rather than in a lot of cases, probably lease agreements and, and whatnot or different kind of arrangements that might be in place with a lot of the European tracks. And so F1 has built a... I'm not going to go into the numbers, multi-million dollar investment in a permanent paddock, which is like kind of like this, like if you want to call it the central building for all the teams to be at and where pit lane is and all that kind of stuff in Vegas, they've bought, I think it was 39 acres of land as well in Vegas to kind of, they have obviously the strip is what's talked about, but obviously the, the, the track is longer than just the strip. They're not just going back and forth uh, saying hello to all the patrons. So they've made significant investment for F1 in Vegas. And I think the bad news kind of started, was it maybe two weeks ago when you and I were chatting about the pr- ticket prices ticket plummeting? Prices plummeting. Um, I think it's, it's more so about to fill in the seats that they've, that they've created. Uh, because they, the 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 skinny is that there is going to be more private jets flying in either this afternoon or tomorrow than there ever has been in Vegas for an event. Jeez. And they've extended the Henderson Airport, I think it's called, in, in Vegas, has extended like another 18 acres or something like that of parking space for these planes to accommodate wow. for the people coming in. So it's like there's this kind of conflicting reports anyways. But Well, they couldn't fit on a WestJet flight? Yeah, guys, just pile in. Direct. There's one direct flight per day out of Canada. Yeah, Vegas, just coming so. from Edmonton. <laughs> so they they've gone through some PR stuff, obviously, with with the delays to the local to the local economy too. Like the the every five minutes, someone has been tweeting over the last month and a half, two months about all the delays for local traffic, or if you're just visiting Vegas ahead of this race and all the all the the travel nightmare that is actually just getting around Vegas from getting to your, from the airport to your hotel or going down the strip. They've had documented that workers have basically been doing 90 hour weeks to get this ready on time. And we finally get to the, I guess the opening week. So again, traditionally F1 race on a Sunday, they're doing the F1 race at midnight. I think it's local time is when it's starting off. So on, on the Saturday night. So obviously they're doing it Vegas style and making an event and making it a spectacle. We can either say that's a good idea or a bad idea. I'm not going to necessarily talk about that today, but the true, I guess, organization of this event started off with a huge Vegas style introduction of all the drivers and the teams. Lots of the guys, most notably their best driver, Max Verstappen, came out directly after this and said, I felt like a clown up there. I'm not sure what we're doing with this. So again, like just bad press automatically in terms of how they're going about doing the event. And then yesterday, the first act, when to get down to the nuts and bolts of the driving, first practice lasted eight minutes until a car, one of the Ferraris, this has been kind of all over Twitter or X in the last 12 to 24 hours, is that 
he drove basically an inconsistency in the road, punctured a hole in the bottom of a Ferrari that was going 150 miles an hour or whatever that was. And practice was canceled. Fans were told to leave. As far as I can tell, people are complaining because there's been no offers of refunds. Practice two, which is going to be today, fans have been told they're not allowed to come because obviously I think the F1 stewards who's in charge and whatnot are afraid about the integrity of, of certain parts of the track. Just doesn't sound like the best kickoff to your inaugural weekend in Vegas. And not the way, obviously, that F1 wants to debut this because of the, like I said, it's not like they're doing this as a test and saying, ah, we might be back next year. No, they're, they're right. Like, I mean, like they're anchored that, to that will be brought up 100%. But the racers and the teams are going to say like, we're not coming back here and they're going to have to, no, I'm not, I'm just saying from the, from the, we're talking about the, the they're going to learn really quickly how much itself. power they don't have. hundred percent. I know it's like, at the end of the day, we know what the answer is going to be, but there's going to be a lot of, especially if this continues in terms of the track integrity. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of pushback on it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're not supposed to go to Vegas till Friday anyway. So what are you doing there on a Wednesday, Thursday? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, yeah, it's kind of stinky. It's for me as a, um, I'm not a fan of, of Red Bull. So the Verstappen commentary is to be expected because he's kind of a diva. Luckily he's incredible. So he gets away with it. So yeah, it's always the worst when the divas are also unbelievably one of the three most talented people in the sport ever yeah so um whatever i'm gonna do a quick swing here as i don't have a lot of takes on it and i'll probably still be paying attention on sunday so whatever i think the track will be visually very exciting to watch i'm not Mm -hmm. sure the race will be amazing but i'm pretty excited to see and hear the sounds as they rip down the strip it's going to be pretty cool um i want to do a little 2023 since we're, we're in november here I'm not sure we're going to record after Christmas, but it's you could almost wrap up 2023 right now in terms of telling a story of what happened in the U.S. market. So I'm going to d- whip off some stats here. So building on its aggressive rate hikes last year, the Federal Reserve nudged rates higher still in the first half of 2023 rather than the 50 to 75 basis point in, um, hikes that they were doing in 2022. They slowed their pace to 25 basis point hikes in the first four of five meetings of 2023. After that, they waited to see what would unfold, which has been a long-term pause all the way through to today. This approach has worked pretty well. The annual CPI inflation fell from 6.4% annualized in December of 2022 to roughly around three coming in as we, we inch our way to December of 2023. The U.S. economy withstood these rate hikes or this rate hike cycle, better than most people assumed, given the fact that the NASDAQ was down 30 plus percent last year. And equity markets have kind of breathed the sigh of of relief here with the NASDAQ going back up 38% this year, and the US slash global equities being up 17 and 14% annualized. Now, from the bottom of October, which was, everyone was pretty worried. Mm -hmm. November 1st hits and market rips 10%. Yields drop 60, 70 basis points on the five-year and two-year, and it seems like all is well. I'm of the opinion that this is the, the kind of the Santa Claus rally that we were, we were talking about. While that doesn't fit the, the legitimate de- definition 
of a Santa Claus rally, it is this wall of worry that we're climbing. It's almost as though um, we're starting to shake off. You know that you know that meme or the the gif of that that kid that dodges like bad news and bad attitude and like <laughs> he's dancing around all these bad things because he's having a lovely Friday. Um, it feels as though the market is kind of brushing off this negative news, the wall of worry that it's climbing, and. We're coming to the conclusion that we're going to have a lot of growth in 2024, um, that interest rates are peaked and likely to come down. I mean, every economist I'm now reading has pivoted completely. They went from we're for sure going into recession to we're going into recession, but rate hikes. So now the market's like, oh, rate or sorry, not rate hikes, but rate, rate cuts. cuts. Yeah. We're going to get six to 12 cuts in 2024. Oh, baby. So the market loves that. Uh, I can't wait for six months from now. When none of that actually happens. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's it's funny because it just reiterates the fact that markets are six to nine months out. It's, it has nothing to do with the past. And everyone kind of, if, you know what, you get stuck in that belief. You Even I do, and I mention this every week, it seems. I'm like, oh, man, man, this economy is going to fall apart. Look at the mortgage rates. People are broke. You, you look at, I saw this tweet yesterday where the the financing costs on a eight hundred thousand dollar house where you have like a tripling of people's mortgages if they were in a variable rate all of these things you think about well they start talking like just on that point i'll let you keep going but the we've talked about that narrative just like you know that how the stats are on and focusing on housing affordability specifically or the interest rates attached to that and saying like this is a huge glut based on the stats of 2024 and 2025 renewals and like obviously there has been a bunch of people affected that by this in you know 23 as well but in terms of statistically how that bell curve is is dispersed on on people being on people coming up for renewal and it's you're seeing that in like news releases now people like mentioning it and talking about it it's like oh like this is actually a pretty big concern and you know this is this could be a reason why like an underlying reason why we're also pushing towards it because especially in Canada they know that if you know, <laughs> the number of delinquencies or the changes to that market changes by, you know, another percent or two, that that's a massive change. Mm-hmm. And so what can we do to assist against a huge issue happening? Well, we can talk about rate cuts mm-hmm. and how that's going to be an effective tool for them to use. Yeah. And well, I mean, that then gets baked into the market exactly. and, and yeah. it yields on treasuries and and um, government bonds end up falling, then so do mortgages, right? And while the big banks haven't been following suit with with the smaller um, mortgage providers like MCAP, Mm -hmm. it's likely that in the first quarter next year, they follow suit. So uh, as a transition here, Trevor Toome had a really great article. Um, For those who don't know who Trevor Toome is, he's a professor of economics at the University of Calgary and a research fellow at the at the School of Public Policy. He is uh, a breath of fresh air for sure. He just, he likes to, he straddles the line well. Mm-hmm. He makes his point well. Um, I think very stable when it comes to whatever, whatever side of the line you end up falling on. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to <laughs> disagree with Trevor. Um, but he had a, a really good article talking about the debt problem that Canada has. Mm-hmm. And um, he put it, it into context versus other countries, which is something that I often have to do when mm-hmm. people are referencing um, gross numbers. Yep. But 
it still doesn't change the reality of how this is going to impact policy moving forward, how it's going to impact Canada, because as interest rates go up, so does the cost of the debt that Canada has taken on. Mm -hmm. And we've now started to get ourselves into a position where um, we're at the highest interest payments. So in the same way that our mortgage, anyone on a variable mortgage right now, or going to refinance and buy it, buy a new house, whatever, um, is, is feeling the pinch of the cost of capital going up, so too is our, are our politicians and our government. Mm -hmm. And we're now starting to have to deal with our spending habits. And I think that this is, along with housing, the number one issue that is going to be discussed going into the next election, or even just as you, on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, Christia Fruitland is going to have to figure out a way to cut back in order to bring spending in line. If our budget is being blown out, where I believe, at least going into the year, they had anticipated a $40 billion budget deficit, yeah. it looks like that's going to be closer to 46, mostly on the backs of higher interest costs for debt. Yeah, I think that that is... Concerning. I think then there's some projections of even higher than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a few, a Close few 50. Yeah. Well, it depends on plus, yeah. which narrative you're trying to spin. But <laughs> yeah. I, I think that when you, when you start to look at the costs of, of this debt and how we compare to other countries. So Canada is not alone in this. There are other countries. I'm going to take a quote from, from, uh, Trevor Toombs article here. So exclude, excluding the COVID-19 years, which are obviously an exception, it would be an over $20 billion increase to our debt than over last year. That'd be the largest increase since the financial crisis. And controlling for the health of the economy, using what is called the cyclically adjusted budget balance, it would be the largest deficit as a share of the economy since 1995. So this doesn't mean we're, according to Trevor here, we're not falling off a fiscal cliff, but relative to the size of the government or overall economy, the burden of these high interest costs remains lower than it was in the mid-1990s, far lower. In 1995, interest costs were 35% of revenue generated. So that's literally 6% of our entire economy. Today, even if interest costs exceeded $50 billion, that would be 11% of revenue. So that's quite a bit lower. We have a much more dynamic tax-generated economy at the moment it is we're in a much better position it is still less than two percent of our gdp now i think it's important to compare us to our other relative nations so mm -hmm. the united states the united kingdom whatever right um so this is information from the economist the u.s federal deficit is set to reach 5.7 percent of gdp this year roughly equivalent to 165 billion dollars in canada so relative to the united states we're doing okay the UK is at 3.9%, and while that is high, lower than the United States. And I want to add a little bit of context here that he didn't really mention in the article because, I, I mean, it's probably not that important for him to do so. But the United States is allowed to have larger deficits because they have the control of money. Mm -hmm. They are the denominated currency of the world. Mm -hmm. Everybody uses or settles in US, USD. The standard. They are the standard, exactly. So they can do this. Canada doesn't have that luxury. And we are on a debt to GDP um, percentage better off than all other nations. So I'm not scared about Canada. I'm much more concerned about the consumer, the Canadian consumer, because that is where the majority of our debt has been thrown. Mm -hmm. The United States has effectively thrown it on the, on the government, and then 
the balance sheets of their consumer are significantly better than ours. So what does that really mean? You know what that translates to? Well, the S&P 500 trades at 23 times earnings and the TSX trades at 15, which, if, which means that the people that are investing in each country thinks the United States is much more valuable and predictable yeah. and likely to grow faster than Canada is. And mm -hmm. it's largely because our consumer is full of house, household debt. And that is a problem. And we need to come up with some sort of solution where we start to balance where that debt lies. We keep taking care of the government and we do not take care of our citizens. Why? Cam, can we get an interest write-off for our house? Mm, yes. Please, please tell me you can. <laughs> that is, I mean, just an idea that I have that uh, would help me. <laughs> yeah. um, but I don't know. I think that, that this is going to be a big deal moving forward. Um, I highly recommend people just read Trevor Toome. He's, he's a phenomenal follow on X or Twitter. And um, he usually has a pretty balanced take on most things. So when you go to argue with either someone on the left or the right, you're going to end up being a happy camper because yeah. they're not going to immediately dismiss what they say because of who it is. He's a reasonable guy. So give that guy a follow. I don't know if you have anything to add there. but No, I think it was an, it was an excellent summary, like, like you said, giving obviously the – not the doomsday, but obviously like the negative and pessimistic or the, the, the concerning – numbers that are coming out but then also giving you context in terms of a comparison to history and then also where we sit on the global scale just to and and just because if you're <laughs> sometimes you say well we're not as bad as that guy we're not as bad as that person it's like but if you're all bad then <laughs> it's all relative right yeah. so I, I but i think he does a good job talking about that and obviously i mean this this is a constant topic it doesn't matter if we're in an election cycle or not in terms of spending and what we're doing from the government standpoint on running a surplus, running a deficit, planning for X, planning for Y. I think the economic update comes out next week, like the fall economic update. So that'll be interesting. We'll probably unpack that a little bit mm -hmm. once we are able to, to dig into that. I've heard a few rumblings on what's going to be kind of included in that, but it's going to be, I do talk about how this is a constant topic of discussion. I think it's going to be even more so heading into 2024. Obviously, we know that we're facing an election here in this country pretty soon. And they're going to be spending. They're going to be, yeah, it's, just, it's going to be very focused, I feel like, obviously. And I feel like what the conservatives will be running on will be talking about fixing this issue. And Pierre's already been doing that a ton. Mm-hmm whenever he gets the chance and it doesn't matter who's in power going forward. If it's Justin or his replacement in the liberal party, obviously there's a lot of talk about that and whether or not he's going to be the, the face of that moving forward. It doesn't matter who it is. And that's what, you know, Trevor goes on to kind of summarize at the very end is that we need to take a hard look at what's going on. So this doesn't the, <laughs> the, the next 10 years of, of Canada is built on a strong base. You know, hundred percent. I think it's, he, he finishes the article saying, and if rates stay higher for longer, as many, including the Bank of Canada, now expect the government's debt levels may not be sustainable. Exactly. And that is our problem, right? Which, like, and I mean, glass half full wise, we're reading this article. Trevor has this information. Smart guy. I like to think that there's smart people that are also looking at this in our government. And the hope is that something changes.
Yeah. I I'm sh- I don't know if it's positive. even something changes. I just think that the Bank of Canada is doing yeah. yeah they're doing their very best to cool inflation, and our government is spending quite a bit of money, which yeah. is so, counteracting so that. Maybe work. pull in the same direction a little. Maybe bit more. they could try that. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe not. I don't know. So car dealership guy, probably our favorite person to quote from Twitter or X, <laughs> is talking about uh, the most underhyped vehicles, and we have people been- are dusting off their Priuses. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I love his stuff. He may be wrong, may be right about things. I don't really care. It's still, he it's is a passionate take. Very passionate. Anyways, he has a tweet. This was earlier in the week, and he's like, the most underhyped vehicles right now are hybrids. And I think he's super right. Like almost everything in life, it's never all one or all the other. Mm-hmm. So I know well. if you go into the most northern parts of, or even the places that are most dependent on oil and gas, they're not going to be like, nope. Electricity doesn't make any sense. Whereas on the other far left side of things, no, the only thing that we can use is electric cars. Yeah, people who are traveling five square kilometers. Yeah, and live in Toronto. California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they have beautiful weather, right? Yeah. Like there's obviously somewhere to fall in the middle here. And it's pretty clear based on consumer demand. And I would even say anecdotally of the family that I live within, mm-hmm. hybrids are really becoming the, oh, it works. This is working. And I'll give you an anecdotal example. My mother-in-law has a, has a hybrid Volvo, and it's a lovely vehicle. She owned it for eight weeks, and she didn't fill up. And she just has a hybrid. Mm-hmm. And she drives 15 kilometers into downtown and back each day. That's a pretty nice perk, where you're charging it at home on a 120 charging um, cable, mm-hmm. and you have sufficient energy to get yourself to work and back without having to compromise your gas uh, that's interesting but if you're in a pinch and you got to go to Invermere you got to go to Calgary you're going to have a three and a half hour drive ahead of you or you're doing a 200 kilometer trip around the city well you don't have to rely you got on some it. gas not bad you don't have to plan no. out not trip. bad right <laughs> yeah. and I think this is probably where we're going if you start to look at what's happening in the to the the supply demand dynamics and and the and the inventory levels in that you're seeing at, at dealerships, but even the inventory yeah. that dealerships are taking. Right, that's an important point, right? Right, so they yeah. see things that are different than us. And um, I, I ran into two managers at the Euler game on Wednesday mm-hmm. of d- two dealerships. Of course, they were sitting in better seats than me. And um, <laughs> they were talking about how they're, the, what they're ordering or what they're accepting from their parent dealer mm-hmm. is not what they had expected. And that is, I mean, to put it bluntly, they, they want SUVs and trucks, gas trucks, and hybrids. They do not want electrical vehicles because people aren't buying them. Yeah. And while the lineup for them was long, I don't think that they, the continued growth of that lineup of people wanting them is growing as fast as they anticipated. Yeah. And it certainly is just another example of, of the COVID boom reversing and going the other direction, the reversion to the mean. Mm. Um, Well, especially I think the unique thing about or one of the unique things that I think about when I think about car dealerships and their turnover, and obviously there's a new model of all these things coming out every single year. So, I mean, I I think maybe you would know more than me, but right now, obviously, we're tail end of 2023. Like, there's already 2024 that have been marketed and are going out the door at dealerships in terms of the models. So, it's like if you build up this inventory of your... 2024 EV lineup. It's like you're 
the buying selling window, like buying window for or for the dealerships from the main hubs and then the selling windows, like they're, they realistically are so small. And I don't like really think about that in the mm-hmm. in terms of like your fall release on clothes at H and M or like whatever it might be. It's like that's a way bigger thing to or obviously a much more expensive bets to be making mm-hmm. in terms of how they're building inventory. And I'd be very interested in knowing it's obviously like, you know, Ford, I think in, in car dealership guys, tweet thread, he kind of uh, talks about, you know, legacy companies and their buildup of their inventory and legacy, meaning like the Chevys and the Fords and kind of the do- domestic brands that have been delving into the, the EV market and starting to build Heavy. inventory. What are they doing with all these... Like, does that just get slapped as 2025? Because, oh, no one saw this anyways because no one bought it. <laughs> so what are they going <laughs> to do? Well, maybe. I mean, they, oftentimes, it, I mean, they reuse chassis, and at least yeah. from my understanding. If yeah. you think about the BMW series of vehicles, you have the X3, 5, 7. It's this, they all sit on the chassis of the um, the i3, 5, 6, 7. Mm. So it's they reuse stuff for sure for sure they do i mean i'm i'm by no means a supply chain expert here um i actually if you do or care to um learn a little bit more about car dealerships i highly recommend the data trek nick colas newsletter because he was a he was steve cohen's um auto analyst and Mm -hmm. trader for a number of years who if people don't know this steve cohen um is effectively the living version of Bobby Axelrod and owns uh, the New York Mets. Yeah, um, he's, he's effectively been super he's, successful so far. Yeah, he's been doing okay. He has unlimited money. Yeah. I think is what I would call it. Mm-hmm. I think the only person who truly has more cash coming in on a month-to-month basis would be like uh, Ken Griffin or or Michael Bloomberg. But that's a topic for another day. He. Um, is just a wealth of knowledge covered the industry for over a decade during the the boom years of the 90s and and 2000s and i think that if you do care about the industry at all and want to learn a little bit more and view it as um something that's got a lot of change ahead of it Mm -hmm. give that give that a look cam moving on i want to talk a little bit about ai here Mm. i had a few emails actually from listeners about um gpt your own GPTs, those sorts of things. And I don't believe I'm the best person to necessarily be there, the person they're reaching out to about this stuff. I'm not, you're not, I'm not, their, you're not their GPT Sherpa. No, good Lordy. Please don't make me that. I by no means am an expert here, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. But I think that interestingly we've seen or are going to continue to see, um, context coming out this over the next two months you know how in in sports they have those plays of the year when and squawk box and and bnn they talk about what what was the the big news for 2023 and it's not just inflation which good god it's been a a heavy topic it's also the big seven and ai and um what i guess you would call chat gpts or gpts these these llms that are kind of working their way into the consumer market. Mm-hmm. They haven't found the, the uh, I think, perfect product market fit here, but Microsoft is certainly leading here. It's at all-time highs. Mm. Um, the, the, the company itself has got Copilot that is, going, that is attached to, I'm sure you'll be at least 
perusing yeah, a little bit. It's it's supposed to be imminent. So I mean, in terms of, I, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe in the states, obviously, earlier access right. and, and whatnot. But yeah, it's imminent, and it's talked about pretty consistently. I would say. I mean, on the when you if you watch the Dev Day, they mentioned that PwC is using it, that um, KPMG is using it, mm-hmm. Ernst and Young is using it. So it's not like nobody is. It, their their list of Fortune 500s that are um, on this we'll call it a beta yeah. of it is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that this is something that if you haven't started playing around with it, you're going to fall behind and you have to start to learn. Well, on that point, I mean, I had an internal meeting the other day and we were talking a little bit about it and someone's, I was like, did you listen to the reform millennials podcast? Cause that sounded like a direct quote from six months ago, but essentially we were talking about the, the need for people to number one get comfortable with it or at least have an understanding of it like you said it's not like you need to be an expert or you need to be the gpt or uh language model sherpa for your clients or for everybody but obviously it's more about spreading knowledge but the thing we talked about internally that we need to do is if we're going to have clients that are using this product themselves and then coming to us with questions based off of it they're going to be comparing answers that they get from language models to what you're getting from your professional service firm mm-hmm. as well as obviously them i would say for the most part expecting that if they reference something in relation to it that we would have a general knowledge of it as well and be able to work off of it which like i mean again i think six nine months ago when we were talking about the applications of this technology on a go forward basis and what that might look like i mean that's you know it's right on right on par so these conversations are happening Obviously, like you, you just mentioned, a bunch of you know big professional service firms that uh, that are already using it, and Fortune 500 companies. I mean, from what I've seen from Microsoft, it's just like obviously everything's always marketed with with rose-colored glasses, and you're like, oh, this is going to be amazing, and you know, betas are betas. But at the end of the day, truly, what if I look at it from like a five-year, and it's like, okay, well, imagine just all the upgrades and improvements they're going to be making to this over time, and. Obviously, too, I think there's going to be training probably rolled out in relation to prompting. How do you prompt properly? How do you talk to it is going to be huge for sure. So it's just like all that kind of stuff where, again, embrace that. And, you know, from a lesser degree, there's just there's so many there's there's so many things available to you at your fingertips that it can be overwhelming. We've talked about that feeling as well, just like mentally how it can be well, here's these five new tools. You have to make sure you utilize all of them in your day-to-day and do them now. And it's like just bite-sized pieces, figure out what parts, like again, it's like usually an iceberg kind of situation a lot of times with some of these technologies where you know, you, don't, you only see don't look underwater. of it. Don't look underwater. But like find what works best for you and what's going to, and, and build on that. You're not going to know 100% of it after day one. Like think about Excel. It's all, Excel has been used yeah globally at probably on an average rate of like 5% of its full capability. Yeah. Didn't we have one of our good friends ask us the other day, how do you do a, how do you multiply, do you multiply two multiply numbers? He's like, <laughs> I thought it was X, not the star. And it's like, he's not a dumb guy. He just, but he's like never had to use it in the context of, of some of the things. And it's like, so just building on your knowledge and, and feeling more comfortable. And I think again, some of these things that we're thinking about, especially with uh, co-pilot that I've seen, it is things like note taking that has been obviously I, I can I'm assuming you're the same in, in meetings like internal meetings or external meetings whatever it might be and always like that 
I need to be listening, but I need to be a- actively listening and writing things down so I don't forget. And this. on Instagram. And, and, <laughs> and on Instagram. But it's changing the way that we can summarize meetings and note take and prioritize things and make sure we're not, we didn't miss something. Obviously, Excel, building out macros, building out formulas, getting work, getting monotonous work, completed data input stuff that maybe you, you obviously spent three hours doing that or two hours doing that. And now that's drugged down to 10 minutes and then you can just analyze and then you can have more conversations and you can work with more clients and you can do blah, 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 blah. All these things. It's the application of it is, again, we've, you've said it at length. It's not a thing that we need to be scared of. It's a thing we need no, to embrace. try to understand it, embrace it. And then you will be dangerous. Yeah. Um, like anything, new technologies, if you do embrace them, mm-hmm. you become a weapon yourself and that is what you're going for you don't want to be um the person having to ask other experts how to use mm-hmm. this is a something that's new and new things that are fast growing and developing out quickly like that like they're open ai is integrating this through the largest enterprise suite on the planet yeah and the most important one if you choose to believe that this is a bad idea well that is fine but you are effectively just denying the computer. I would just go the other direction and be like, oh, wow, they have, they're creating an app store for this? Mm. When was the last time we did an app store for a product? What happened? Well, mm. my grandma uses an iPhone now. So she's, making, she's ordering an Uber to take her to the casino. Like this is, that is the reality of her life. And that's, that was a decade ago. Yeah. Now this is a decade in the future going to be something similar from a growth perspective. I'm almost certain of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to look like a GPT store. I think it probably will. I'm building in a GPT for that store myself. It's crazy and, and nuanced and it's kind of, my GPT is pretty dumb. I think that's kind of a reflection of myself, um, <laughs> but, but it's, it's slowly getting better. People who look like their dogs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man, yeah. that is awful. But yeah, yeah um, the, the functionalities of all this is, uh, I think exciting. And if you're a young mm-hmm. person being a little bit worried about it, don't be, um, get in line. What does that mean? Get like you can't currently get a new subscription to GPT Plus or Turbo or GPT Four. You have to wait in line because the, there's too many of us on it. Mm-hmm. But start playing around with it. Start to figure out how you can integrate it into your workflow. And when others go to talk to you about it, you're going to sound very smart, and that is going to be a huge advantage. You're a millennial. You should probably act like it mm-hmm. because. Well, I think the other thing too to keep like obviously companies small, medium, or big for that matter. I think the best ones are always embracing, you know, Kaizen, like mm. continuous improvement, right? And the there's going to always be stuff top down from like a regulation standpoint, especially with the big guys. But, you know, small, medium businesses, they're looking for ideas to improve on stuff. It's going to be incumbent on this next generation of, of worker. If you, again, educate yourself, become very good at knowing where these things apply, you can come to the table with those ideas and differentiate yourself too by coming in on the ground floor and essentially, you know, not necessarily, not in a negative way, questioning process, but saying, Hey, like there's a way of doing this faster and I can help develop something there with our IT team or our IT advisor or whatever it might be. 
making sure that it's obviously safe and regulated to the degree that we need it to. But again, if you come to the table, like I always tell, you know, my younger staff, like I'm, I'm 33 now, I know that I'm out of the game with a lot of things, even just with computing in Excel or, or certain tools that might be available. I'm like, if there's a better way of doing this, tell me, like, please. <laughs> yeah. Like conversation, like don't just do it without having a conversation. I know we're starting to be our parents and that is concerning <laughs> to me. It is. But I think, again, it's like there's, there is people who do not embrace that side. Mm-hmm. It's this is what's worked. And so we're going to keep doing it this way. Mm. And again, if there's a better way of doing this, please tell me. Yeah. Have because an open mind and open, especially when you go into it saying, Hey, this is going to be painful. <laughs> this is like a really manual process. And yeah. it's like, that should be your trigger word to say, well, is there a way we can automate this? 100%. Or is there a way that we can institute one of the built in Microsoft tools or, or if, again, if you're in a you know less regulated business where you're kind of using some of these tools already that are, I guess not allowed in, in some of our like our firms kind of thing. We can't just have chat GPT no, desktop kind of thing, right? No. But in that in that sense, it's like what can you build and what can you bring to the table? And um, these I know you're probably gonna have, you know, more intricate information included in the, in the news store or the newsletter in relation to some of these AI announcements uh, in regards to you've mentioned GPT four turbo and the uh, I think the assistance or the GPT store, sorry, and the assistance API stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just really you know, a continuation of this discussion that we've we've been having over the past year about how this is, again, under the kind of Kaizen uh, mentality. This is just continuing to improve and becoming more user-friendly and being baked into both a professional and using it in our personal lives, too. Like, I mean, I've been playing around with... My wife and I have been complaining about how our schedule just are just exploding in terms of things that we're doing with the kids, and obviously we're both working. And how do we, you know, the traditional calendar up on the on the kitchen fridge isn't really cutting it anymore. And even the integration right now with our phones and stuff like that is not perfect. And it's like, well, let's it's use terrible. Let's 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 think about something different. Yeah. So yeah, it's just those are the kind of things, right? It's it's not just we we obviously very much harp on the. How is this going to improve business and innovation and whatnot? It's also how is this going to improve our daily lives and embracing it from that standpoint too. <clears throat> so this week, I really, really had to dig deep because I started to sound exactly like my father, mm. complaining about Gen Z. I was going to say asking for five strokes or <laughs> no, that, that I learned too quick. Uh, no, the I banned TikTok in me is strong the Mm. i it needs to go it has to go and the the reason being it's just this and i think this is going to be really hard to verbalize appropriately and keep myself in line and not say anything i shouldn't say but quite frankly if we are of the belief that there are enemies of ours on the other side of of being western society Mm -hmm. and our moral um belief system we cannot have others influencing how we think, especially our younger children, more influential children who are soon to be our millennials or going to be our major consumers. They're going to start having their own children. If they are being controlled by another government entity, if I were to have to choose between the CCP having control over the algorithm or Mark Zuckerberg, who is a robot, but at least our robot, um, I would choose Mark Zuckerberg. Now, why? I think that the, the, con- the 
the prevailing narrative on TikTok of late has been very challenging and is causing a lot of political strife mm. throughout North America. And if you can just look at who controls it and then see how that would that might trickle down, I don't know how long it's been since 2016 when we talked about Russia's interference in the election. I'm not going to argue whether or not it, they did or didn't. They did. And if you believe that that was bad, this is 10 times worse because of the fact that it is used way more frequently by a younger generation. And we have what seems to be a party in power that doesn't want to deal with it. And then another one that is using it as their, their another a way to cause division mm -hmm. and it, what ends up happening is we we put ourselves in a vulnerable position with something that we can't control and what is now downstream of that is um, consumption competition so what is that consumption competition this is me talking about the people that are now finally competing with amazon they're competing with facebook and they're com competing with our um our other major distributors of goods so our Costco's, our Save-On Foods. Yeah. And what, what are the names of those things? Well, for those who don't know a lot about uh, Chinese businesses, TikTok is obvious. That's owned by ByteDance, which is controlled by the CCP. Yeah. You have... And there's actually a way to shop through TikTok. 100%. Yeah. Guess what yeah. that attaches to? Pinduoduo or Timu. And those are large, um, we'll call it Amazon-esque distributors of goods. Yeah, Alibaba yeah, is yeah, also yeah. integrated there. Yeah. And effectively what um, Pinduoduo was previously, um, it is a fast fashion website. Shein is a fast fashion website that mm -hmm. I would be, venture to guess your wife has bought something off of Refuses or girlfriend to. or, well, you know what? Good for her because yeah. she's in the industry, right? But um, a lot of, I would guess if you were to ask 10 women, if they've shopped on Shein, sure. I would venture to guess 60% of them would say yes. Mm -hmm. The the worry I have here is that they have 130 million global users on TikTok. It's yeah. probably, or not, I think 130 million American users on TikTok. Yeah. <clears throat> and that it is a group of people that uses the app more than any other app on their phone, maybe second to only YouTube. And it's not monitored by us. And then that causes them to shop. It causes them to think and, and do a certain way that... I, I struggle with seeing how it benefits us, but it is, whether we like it or not, massive competition mm -hmm. and a big, big issue moving forward. And it is, if you're an investor in US equities or even Canadian included, you see, you see this as them in, they're coming after the largest market in the world that is ours, and they're trying to sap up our dollars. Mm -hmm. I don't want them to do that. We need to fight back in some way. I don't know if that means we gotta, we gotta ban TikTok. I believe we do, but, Nonetheless, we should be paying attention to these companies. Shein is a huge monster. monster. Yeah. You have Pinduoduo that is an incredible distribution and um, logistics company. And Timu, which is now launched in, in North America, and people are buying a lot of goods on. I, I'm of the opinion that actually from 2008 to like 2014, Alibaba was huge. People were, everyone was talking about drop shipping. If you went on YouTube and wanted to learn about how to make money fast as a side hustle, you, people were talking about drop shipping. They're utilizing Facebook and Google ads to um, buy products from Alibaba, repackage them and ship them out at 2000% margins. That was a massive business. And then Amazon came in and they made it a little bit less competitive. Ad space became more expensive and the business got, in my opinion, 
competed down to being a little bit less profitable for those drop shipping businesses. Mm-hmm. It's kind of coming back, but they've China has now come here to us. They found their distribution, which is TikTok, or their um, I would say top of the funnel. Yeah. When you're thinking about how you're distributing gas into your car, at top of your your funnel is TikTok. Mm-hmm. It then changes how you think and gets you to purchase goods from not America, but the other side of the world. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that uh, realistically now you don't even need to have a real person marketing your stuff. You no. Can now have an AI generated <laughs> imaging or video of people marketing your stuff, which yeah. is another whole ball wax. Yeah. And, and for in, things that we but, cannot talk about on this podcast, yeah. they had some crazy <laughs> stuff on TikTok of late and I just can't find my, yeah, I, I think it's it the myself. twofold piece, right? Like the, like, I think the, the economic piece is easier to discuss and talk about that, what that impact could be and why that's yeah. worrisome from that bothers me. And which like, I mean, if we were doing a reform millennials podcast in, in China, probably wouldn't be allowed to, to do it. But no, if we did it in, in China talking about American companies coming into China doing it, we'd be having the same discussion. Like we'd this, be in jail. This, <laughs> but what I'm saying is like the perspective matters here. Of course. It's like, and, but I, the, do I think you need to protect your... Have you ever tried using um, Facebook or Instagram in China or Google? No. I'm, oh, you can't. I'm just talking about the perspective <laughs> of if it were equal countries. Yeah. If, an, if a country is coming into a country with companies are coming into that country from a distribution standpoint, sapping up we don't allow activity out of exactly but you're going to protect that interest is what Mm -hmm. i'm saying so i understand that perspective but then the other whole and the probably the bigger narrative is is again like the social side of this and what this is doing for from an influencing perspective on your your thought leadership on how the youngest generation views history which is kind of maybe an easy, big, an easy yeah. way of saying what the big uh, controversy has controversies have been on TikTok as of late. That is even more concerning than yeah. anything else. And I know so, that people in university are calling or just okay boomerang me right now, but but it, it is I, I in my opinion that's it doesn't matter if you're whatever side you sit on in terms of well you, I don't think there is sides, but anyways, what has happened in the last call it 2 3 weeks in in regards to that conversation, it's still about don't you care about who's telling, like who's forcing you to watch something? You should. You should. You should care. And if again, we we've talked about in the you know doing your own research. I mean that that term actually got buoyed during COVID, unfortunately. So I can't. But but the importance of understanding that just because you're told something doesn't mean that it's true but then just not taking the next opinion and running with it or mm-hmm. whatever that is. Like you need to understand that in order to understand something, you don't need to watch a 15 second TikTok video. No, and it's probably not, not a great idea. There's layers to and this. Then, and, and then another 15 second on the same topic. Over and, another, and over and, another, and over. And another and another. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I necessarily, I guess I'm fence sitting a bit on the band TikTok perspective, but what it currently represents and from both of those kind of maybe big pillars that we just talked about, like, like the, econ- the economy and our, our, social, our social perspective, it's, it's concerning. Yeah, definitely. And something that, you, again, you know, for the average person, you're probably pretty aware of it. And, you know, if you're watching golf swing videos and chef reactions <laughs> and whatever else on TikTok, Which and is just pretty enjoying much- your time. 
that's great. But obviously, there's there's enough of there's enough of the negativity stuff for people to notice, and there needs to be whether it's a ban or whether it's the ability to regulate and you know that's kind of tough to do when you don't have the the hottest relationship between the two countries as it currently stands although yeah. they did just come to san francisco and they're there right now they're, they're still there right now yeah they finally yeah. cleaned the city up it's nice yeah. the yeah i don't know where it's going to go i think that the, it's be, going to become a hot topic for sure they're not going to do anything before the, the united states election not a chance so we'll see the fact that but, it's it is talked about a lot now though in terms of the the fact that it's like not speculated as you said mm. that there is interference we know that there is interference and it's just commonplace. So then I guess if more people... They just say sorry over and over and over if again. If more people know that, then maybe that also changes, you know, how how influential that is. Mm-hmm. Because, again, there's some people who basically, you know, they're, it's confirming a narrative that they already believe in. But it's for the people who are undecided or are, are, are uneducated on something. And they're like, oh, well, I, I've seen 40,000 posts on this. So it must have some truth to it or mm-hmm. might be something that I want to look into. But then if you're obviously hearing on the other side... And if we can boost up that messaging, obviously, in the in our algorithms that we control to counteract that, then you know maybe the effect of it isn't as great. Yeah. Well, Cam. On that positive note, let's get out of here. Do you have any recommendations on your way out? Mm, not yet. I I I actually really wanted to watch it before because we were kind of talking about it, and I wanted to kind of give my opinion on it, but I haven't watched the whole thing. I think you liked a bunch of posts that I saw, though. So this further off the opening topic of f1 netflix is delve into live streaming the the golf f1 crossover event yeah what was your opinion on that because i saw clips obviously and i, I watched think it they did an interest they had some interesting ideas in terms of obviously bringing in like different personalities to commentate on it adding in some games that like non-traditional aspects of of golf and kind of adding you know an f1 spin on a fastest hole to complete a hole or whatever it might be what, you, what were your takeaways from the actual production of it? Corny, fun, mm-hmm. a nice distraction for the week. That's it. Okay. Can't repeat this. Like having a trophy is pointless. Well, Signs broke his car. He also broke the trophy. <laughs> yeah. Received it, yeah. So. Uh, and I think they should do it every year. But it doesn't mean that the, this needs to be anything bigger than it being like just a bunch of cool guys that represent the league mm-hmm. and get along with one another mm-hmm. because I mean, drivers definitely change over more than PGA tour superstars do. Um, and, but I do think that they should have this as a recurring event before the F one race in Vegas. It's pretty neat. It's during a dead time for golf. Did, did you watch it on the live stream? Yeah. And yeah. How, so how was that? It came through great. Yeah. I truthfully there's, and this was going to be something I wanted to talk about a little bit more, but we'll do this next week where I wanted to discuss where, um, TV is going. Disney made a huge, they just purchased the rest of Hulu and they are going to make, they're going to inc- um, include a ad tier to their, their business on the, on the Disney streaming side. I believe that we are getting closer and closer to finally having a, um, like all five stones coming together on a hand and we've, we're going to have less subscriptions. Um, but uh, overall, I thought it was, a, it was well done. The uh, people that they had, um, whether it be hosting and being involved, like Joel Diamond was there with uh, Bert Kreischer, Bert Kreischer yeah. who, who's hilarious. Yeah, and no shirt on, yeah. um, I, I've had enough of Mark Wahlberg, but I, <laughs> the rest of it was fun. It was pretty fun. And they had the right golfers. 
involved. Yeah, I think for because they're both they're all entertaining. Finau's fantastic. Um, Ricky Fowler's great, and Justin Thomas for whatever your opinion is of him. I think he's really honestly great for the game. Yeah. So it's I enjoyed tough. it. It's, it's tough when you're working in two with two sports that aren't known for personality kind of things. So you kind of got to pull it out and obviously pick totally. the people. But I think ultimately, if behind closed doors, I'm, I'm sure like this is obviously Netflix has already made an investment in both of those properties, which allowed them to be able to pull this off. But showing that they were able to do a live stream or something like that is like, that's what they need. They need to show that they were able to pull it off and they need to, they need to bring back pros versus Joe's. That's what they need. <laughs> <laughs> live stream of that. Everybody would be great. But I would I, love I, to I see think, a Joe in an F1 car. But to your, we've talked about this before. You can talk about like the future of entertainment from sports or, you know, what subscriptions we have and whatnot. And, and Netflix wants to be, they have the, the market cornered in, in terms of, you know, existing entertainment. And I think not necessarily corner, but they, they, they've, found the right mix like a good secret sauce i feel like in terms of their existing business line and now it's like well how are we going to compete going forward with the other forms of entertainment and like you you had mentioned before like oh i predict that netflix is going to have some kind of rights in relation to you know sports streaming and it's like so this is them dipping their toe in the water seeing what that looks like whether it be a full like a league pass type scenario or if it's special events that they're putting on what's their capability of doing that on their current platform and they were to pull this off. Uh, I'm sure like the numbers, like who knows what the numbers were. I'm not sure if those have been released yet or not uh, in terms of only if they're on good. the live stream. Yeah, exactly. But, but, and then, but the fact that that property then like the cool thing with Netflix, obviously it's like, that's that live stream was on. And then the next day I was on Netflix and it's like, you know, right there. The number one watch thing or whatever in the last 24 hours. That's the that. power of Netflix. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I, I was, I was, I wanted to just quickly discuss because I knew that you watched it. I was going to give my take on it, but I never. I just saw the clips and um, just wanted to know how the live stream came through because I think that's going to be interesting going forward to see what else they oh, do. YouTube will do it. They will too. Yep. They kind of dominate everything. Yep. Cam, I'll see you next week. Sounds great.